Brothers and sisters, our New Testament lesson for this afternoon is from Paul's letter to the Corinthians, his second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 8, verse 9. If you have your Bible, let me invite you to open it up, or you can take the one out of the pew rack in front of you, or you can follow along on the screen as I read this one short but very important scripture verse. 2 Corinthians, chapter 8, verse 9. Paul writes this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Finally, it's Christmas, right? Finally, the carols are sung and the stockings are hung, and in some of our houses, the lights and the trees have been up since before the Thanksgiving turkey was even fully digested. So let's get on with it already. Let's get right to the good news. And of course, the good news is what? Jesus is born. That's the good news. But really, we should ask, so what? So what? And, and not so what in a callous, cynical sort of way, you know, the teenage eye roll kind of way, but in a genuine, inquisitive sort of way. What is the big deal? Why does Christmas matter so much? What difference does it really make other than, of course, the opportunity to binge watch 24 hours of A Christmas Story and see whether Ralphie does indeed shoot his eye out with his new Red Rider carbine action 200-shot range model air rifle with compass in the stock? Let me suggest to you, friends, that the good news of Christmas is transformation. God is changing the world in Jesus Christ. Perhaps God is changing your life in Jesus Christ. The angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. The world was changed by Jesus Christ. And you know what, friends? He's still changing things, even here and now, this day, through the life of a little baby born in an obscure village called Bethlehem to an unmarried teenage mother named Mary, which is an extraordinary claim when you consider how we got to where we are now, right here in this place. Let's say you and I, let's say we went for a walk in the woods. Let's say you and I went for a walk in the woods. Let's just have a thought experiment with me here this afternoon. And as we're walking, uh, we come upon something that we didn't expect to see. We come upon this big red ball. Now, I have a question for you, especially for the kids who are here this afternoon. Let's say we're walking in the woods and we come and we see this big red ball. Here's my question. Uh, would you suppose that this ball grew there or would you suppose that someone put it there? So let's have a little poll, okay? So raise your hand. If you think this ball must have grown there in the woods, raise your hand. Okay, one, two, three. Okay, a few think, okay, good. I like your, I like your faith. Uh, if you think maybe someone must have put it there, raise your hand. Oh, almost everyone. Yeah, okay. I'm with you. I think probably someone would have put it there. Let's say, let's talk about a different ball for a second. Um, instead of red with blue polka dots, let's talk about another ball that's blue with some, maybe some green and maybe some white and maybe some brown. And instead of uh, playing with it, this other ball, you actually live 
on it. So think about this ball with me for a second. And uh, think about the extraordinariness of what this represents for us. That uh, this earth that we live on weighs, scientists say, something like six sextillion tons. And so that's a six with 21 zeros after it. That many tons. That's how much it weighs. And yet, and yet it sort of hangs there in the sky and, and doesn't fall down. Uh, our planet has just the right amount of water and of oxygen and of carbon and of heat and of cold to sustain life. And when scientists, when astronomers are looking through the universe to find other planets that might be able to sustain life, they look in the habitable area that they call, you know what they call it? The Goldilocks zone. You know why they call it the Goldilocks zone? Because everything has to be just right in order for life to exist in the universe so we live on this ball, and all the time we're moving. Did you know that? All the time we are zooming through space, circling around in kind of an ellipse, all the way around the sun over and over and over again. We've traveled uh, each year. This year we've traveled 580 million miles, and we're doing that at 67,000 miles an hour. You feel that? Whee! Not only is it going around in an ellipse around the sun, but at the same time, we're spinning. The whole world is spinning at 1,000 miles an hour, spinning in a, in a circle. Now, if you take me to Walt Disney World and you put me on those teacups, I will vomit after one turn around. But I don't feel anything. I don't feel anything as we're spinning at 1,000 miles an hour. Now, you know what's as amaz almost as amazing as all of that is that there are some people on this earth who believe that this just showed up, that one day there it was. And I would take those same people and I would take them on a walk in the woods and I would ask them, how did this ball get there? And they would say to me, well, someone must have put it there. Obviously, red rubber balls don't grow in the woods. We all know that. Someone had to put it there. And you're telling me that this, which is infinitely more complex which is infinitely more unlikely to occur in the universe. This just showed up one day? Are you kidding me? We believe that someone put this earth in its orbit. We believe that someone fashioned it in just the right way that life can exist. And we believe that someone is God, the creator of the universe, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God made a world. And God put sycamore trees and largemouth bass and wild turkeys and human beings on this earth. And at first, everything was great, right? Everything was perfect and beautiful, and there were no problems. But one day, these humans that God had made, they thought perhaps they could do a better job on their own without God's help. And things kind of went sideways from there. And the people began to hurt each other. And they began to tell lies to God. And they started wars with other human beings. And they started to describe themselves as self-made. So God tried lots of different things. God kicked them out of the garden, but that didn't seem to fix it. And, and so God flooded the whole earth with water, but that didn't seem to fix it either. And so God made promises to the people to give them land and to give them children, but that didn't fix it either. And so God gave them laws 
so that they could understand the difference between right and wrong. But that didn't fix it either. And so God sent his spokespeople, the prophets, to remind the people how they should care for one another. But that didn't fix it either. And God tried solution after solution and fix after fix. But nothing God did finally and completely solved the problem. See, these humans were not persuaded about the God who loved them. And so God tried one more time. And this time, instead of sending a message or a messenger, God himself showed up on the earth to try to convince all of these humans about how much they are loved and about how much the God who made them desires a relationship with them. God came to earth in the form of a little tiny baby to a mother named Mary and in a small town called Bethlehem. And you know all those people who have a hard time believing that something like this could have been made by a God like ours. Sometimes they also have a hard time believing that that same God would come to earth and be one of us. But let's be honest. Sometimes we have a hard time believing that too, don't we? Because it's so incredible. The idea of Christmas is so incredible that God would become human and that God would subject God's self to the forces of the creation that God himself has made. It's hard for us to believe that anyone could be that humble. It's hard for us, to, for anyone to believe that God could be that humble, much less God himself. Humility is surprising, isn't it? It certainly seems to be in short supply these days. If you turn on the news and you watch the politicians talk for just five minutes, you might be convinced that humility no longer exists in the world. But I want to suggest to you, friends, just because it's rare doesn't mean it's not real. When I was in college, I got to meet a man named Henry Winkler. How many of you remember the Fonz? Yes, okay, great. So I grew up watching the Fonz on TV and, and now in movies, and this year was around 1997, and we were having our fraternity formal dance at a hotel in Norfolk, and uh, the guys in, in the room started saying, hey, Henry Winkler is next door. So we did what you know, any good college guys would do. We just went over there and interrupted his party, and uh, we got to meet the Fonz live in person. And two things about him surprised me. Uh, first, he was much shorter than I expected. So I, th I don't know what it is about TV stars and movie stars. They're huge in our minds, right? But he was much shorter even than me. Uh, but the second thing that surprised me about Henry Winkler is that he is incredibly humble. He was the kindest, gentlest person that you would ever want to meet. There must have been 25 or 30 of us who went in and crashed his party. And would you believe he went around to each one of us and he shook our hands and he looked us in the eye and he said, it is so nice to meet you. He said, thank you for coming over to say hi. We invited him to come party with us and he said, I'm sorry I can't do that, but thank you for the invitation. <laughs> now, honestly... If I was the TV star and a bunch of annoying college kids came over to me, I probably would not be as gracious as Mr. Winkler was with us. Humility from people in high places is surprising, isn't it? It's surprising. 
It's hard to believe. And so when the church says to the world, you know, Christmas is the birthday of Jesus, the world says, okay, yeah, great. But when the church says to the world, and you know, the one born on Christmas is God in the flesh, the world says, yeah, right. Yeah, right. I've never heard of any God who is that humble. I've never heard of any God that has that much humility. It's so extraordinary that it's almost unbelievable. It is almost unbelievable, friends, and yet some of us have dared to believe it. We have dared to believe that Jesus is God in the flesh because we know that without him we are lost. We know that without him we are condemned. We know that without the humility of Jesus Christ, we have nothing. We have nothing. And yet, in his grace, he has exchanged his life for ours. He's traded his life for ours. The Apostle Paul put it like this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, may become rich. How extraordinary that through the grace of Jesus Christ, there is richness in poverty, there is victory in meekness, there is strength in weakness. He became poor so that we could be rich. He became meek so that we could have victory. He became weak so that we could be strong. Friends, this is the power of humility, that God would change the world with a little tiny baby, all because Jesus decided to put our needs ahead of his own. Friends, this is the gift of Christmas. Jesus has put your salvation ahead of his own comfort. He left the comfort and the riches of heaven to come down to earth so that you can be saved, so that the whole world can be saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. And today, the invitation is for you now to do the same for someone else, for you and I, for us to get humble enough to put the needs of other people ahead of our own needs. In just a few minutes, we're going to take an offering, and we're going to invite you to give a financial gift for Christmas Eve in honor of Jesus Christ. But here's the thing. Uh, we're not going to keep your money. We're going to give it away. We're going to spend it, all of it, 100% of it, on the needs of our neighbors. And we're going to find the hungry people of this community, and we are going to feed them with the gifts that you give tonight. I don't know if you're aware of this, but there are almost 6,000 hungry people in Campbell County. 6,000 people who live right here in our neighborhood. They are hungry. They're not sure where their next meal is coming from. And so if you're like me, if you're absolutely sure where your next meal is coming from, and not only that, you could feed yourself and a lot of other people for weeks or months without any problem at all, then I wonder if you would give generously tonight to make it possible for us to feed hungry people in our community. With your gift, you can touch the lives of people like those who come to our food pantry. We have a food pantry that is open on Mondays, and our neighbors come, and we give them food so that they can feed their families. And so with your gift, you can touch the lives of people like Kim. Kim is a widow, and her husband died, and now she struggles to make ends meet. Her income is one quarter of what it was before. 
I want you to imagine trying to live on one quarter of what you currently receive in income in your household, and that is Kim's situation. And Kim said to us, I'm so thankful for you and for all the food that you provide because I am able to live again. With your gift tonight, you can touch the life of people like Phyllis. Phyllis is 34 years old. She's a dear, sweet woman, except that she lives with anxiety and she lives in a difficult financial situation. So she comes to our food pantry to be able to put food on the table for herself and for her family. And she not only receives help, Phyllis is clear that she wants to be able to give help to other people as well. And so five days a week, she's at her sister's house to help her sister with all the things that her sister needs from her. Phyllis said her greatest joy is putting a smile on people's faces without expecting something in return. I want to leave you tonight with a quotation from the Brazilian novelist. His name is Paulo Coelho. And he said this. He said, the world is changed by your example, not your opinion. The world is changed by your example, not your opinion. Friends, there's a lot of people who want to try to change the world with their opinion. Have you noticed? Politicians and government leaders and talking heads on radio and TV and even religious people. But the world is not changed by our opinion. People don't really care that much about what we think, do they? But they do care and they do notice what we do. The world is changed by our example, by our action, by our behavior. The world is changed when you and I decide to put someone else ahead of ourselves. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. I wonder if with all the riches that Jesus has already given us, we might share them with someone else who needs our help. This is Christmas. This is Christmas. Let God's people say amen.